Felt like we were a little bit south of the Mason-Dixon line there for a minute. One of the things I love about the way Michael leads worship, he's not intimidated by various forms of music and is willing to embrace all different styles. So you never know what you're going to get here at New Hope. It's really good. So I've been waiting since uh, middle of November, early November, to say this to you. Would you turn in your Bible to Romans? <laughs> really, it's been since November 11th, right? And, and I don't want you to feel like you're walking into the middle of a movie if you haven't been here. Um, we started in June of 2016 on a journey through Romans. So you find this to be part 80 this morning. I'll do just a quick review with you of how we got to where we're at in just a minute. But this first screen is what I want to pray with you about, this first slide. I've told you over the years, and for you that are new here, I think I probably even said it since Christmas, that long before God ever beats you up with a passage of Scripture, know that He's beat me up first, okay? And I find this one to especially be true this past week. In diving into Romans again and working through this, I, I come to 13 and I see verse 14. And I have to stop and ask myself, how am I doing with that? And I'm returning the favor to you this morning. How are you doing with that? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does that look like? Especially in light of what we're talking about this morning when Paul begins expounding on our relationship to the governing authorities over us and how that makes us recoil because we live in a democracy and we're citizens of the United States and we know what good government looks like and we know what bad government looks like. We think we know in our mind what we're supposed to do about that and yet the Bible drills right into the middle of our heart on this issue and we need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ so we really understand this. So let me pray with you first that God would shape our hearts and then we'll step into the passage. Father, I know that every soul in this auditorium is precious to you. Every person watching online right now is precious to you. And we take seriously the reality that we're here with Bibles open or phones turned on with the Bible app up. And, and we're about to look at your word and what you've written and what you want us to know and why in the world it relates to us in this day and age. Only the Holy Spirit can do what's about to happen here. So we invite that, Father. And where there's tension, cause us, Father, to try to resolve the tension by becoming better students of the Word. What do you call us to do? We ask in Jesus' name that you would guide us now, and we ask for his sake, and all God's people said, amen. These things that we're looking at here are the final thoughts of Paul. I told you we started in June of 2016, and Paul's hit chapter 12. We went through that during November, and, and he pretty much is saying goodbye, and it takes him four chapters to say goodbye. But in the 11 chapters building up to chapter 12, he anchors everything about why we're supposed to do what we do in verse 1. Look with me on the screen. Therefore... Because of everything you learned in the first 11 chapters, therefore I urge you, 
Brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. If you're not familiar with Romans chapters 1 through 11, they essentially show the brilliant mind of the scholar as he weaves all these things together that God has laid on his heart about why you need Jesus. Why do we need a Savior? And he wraps it in this beautiful reality of justification by grace. You need to be justified. How can you be justified? Well, Paul says it's by grace. I don't know if you've ever thought of Romans 3.23 that way, but he essentially boils it all down in one sentence. Look at me on the screen. Romans 3.23 and 24. For all have sinned. Yep, that's a reality. And we fall short of the glory of God as a result of that. That's a reality. But here's the good news, verse 24. We're justified as a gift by his, by his what, church? By His, his grace. Or justified by a gift of His grace. How? Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. If you want chapters 1 through 11 in a nutshell, one sentence, that's it. One sentence states the whole package. He's essentially saying, you can't get there on your own, and works won't do it, and your grandma can't do it for you, your pedigree won't do it, and you certainly can't live a sinless life. So you need something other than yourself. You need Jesus. And if you believe that, the result is it affects your relationships. The person on your right or the person on your left at this moment, the person you work with, you go to school with, you play sports with, it affects everything about your relationship to the people in this auditorium, believers in Christ, and it affects your relationship to non-Christians. Even according to verse 17, those who are your enemies... So he uses all this to drive towards talking about the government because the very next focus, he says, it doesn't just change your relationship to God. It doesn't just change your relationship to each other. It changes, changes your relationship to the authorities that are over you. And this one really causes me personally to step back and say, how am I doing with this? With those thoughts, let me just in 60 seconds summarize for you what we ended with in November. Look with me on the screen where Paul wrote in chapter 12, verse 17, never pay back evil for evil, respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. I think I told you in November, I'm so glad that he included that phrase, if possible, right? Because it's not always possible to be at peace with everybody around us, is it? It's not always possible when you've got toxic relationships in your life. What do you do then? You can't always be at peace. Well, you have to set up boundaries. There's got to be boundaries in your life. Some relationships are toxic. Jesus had people who wanted him dead. He had to remove himself from some environments. There's times you have to remove yourself from an environment. So Paul says, if possible, your responsibility is to make sure your side of the relationship is right. The internal desire should be, be at peace with all, even your enemies. Here's how he ends it, verse 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, that is so hard. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. This is telling me that no matter how serious the wound is I might have from a busted relationship, I'm not qualified to take out vengeance. 
God's saying, you don't have all the information. You can't render punishment. That's my job, not yours. So I'm told I've got to withhold vengeance, and that's not the hardest part of the deal. The hardest part is not saying, I'm out. The hardest part is when you come to the part where it says you actually need to return good for evil, and that is quite another thing. And if you want to know more about that, go to our website and go back to the month of November and look at part 78 and part 79 that led into this. We're seeing why this leads into these next seven verses, which become the most specific teaching in the New Testament on what transformation should look like in my life in relationship to the governing authorities that are over me. And I will tell you, this is a personal struggle for me. Every week, I pray that God would humble me so that I would teach well and that he would press on my heart. Well, this week, he really took me up on it. I'll tell you why it's such a personal issue in just a minute. Let me show you a verse that is launching where we're going. Romans 13, 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. This is an incredibly basic and clear command that every single one of us is to be in subjection to the governing authority that's over us. And he's speaking to Christians. And here's how it becomes personal for me, because I am a rebel at heart. My wife will affirm this to you, and she knows it to be true. This last week, I, I needed to go down to the Williamston Post Office. And if you've been down to the Williamston Post Office before, you know it sits on the corner of Zimmer Road and, and Grand River Avenue. And they've got one-way signs, one way going in, one way going out. Now, the week before, I'd been there on Thursday, and I saw that one-way sign, and I knew what I was supposed to do and not supposed to do, but I saw that one-way sign, and I'm going down Zimmer Road, and the one-way sign's coming out of the parking lot, and I'm not supposed to cut in there. But I'm looking, thinking, I'm in a hurry. I got a lot going on. I need to keep my schedule. What is it going to matter? So I blow through the one-way sign, only to have a guy come around the corner that's going, Right, head on at me, and then he starts shaking his fist, and I'm thinking, oh, I hope you don't go to New Hope. <laughs> so I've got a package I'm supposed to pick up. They don't have it. For naught, I went there, but my rebelness came out. I get a call on Monday, hey, we've got your package, so I go back down. Now, I've been working through this stuff. Let every person be in subjection to authority. And I'm coming down Zimmer Road, and I see the stoplight in front of me, and I see the one-way sign over here. And I'm thinking, there is nobody in the parking lot. God, please. And I feel God pushing on me. You are such a rebel. Sure enough, the parking lot's empty, and I go right past the one-way sign and being very dutiful. Inside, I'm seething. The light turns green. I pull out into Grand River. I go down the road and come in just like I'm supposed to. What did it take? An extra 45 seconds. And at that point, I'm thinking, I am. I am, I am a rebel. And I, I sense God pushing on me. Mark, it does not stop there. It's not about you being a rebel. It's about the pride that's in you. The I want to get there when I want to get there attitude. I'm going to do this according to my time frame, according to my rules. 
And if I happen to be late, I'm just going to drive faster. And I sense this rebelness coming out. And God's saying, you're just like Adam. You're just like Eve. I want what I want when I want it, for there is no authority except from God. And Paul's speaking to Christians, and he's saying Christianity and good citizenship, they go together, and there's much more going on here than just obeying the laws of the land. You can see this is a massive issue. Why is he benching it on chapter 12 where he says, therefore, because of everything you've learned, present your body to God as a living and holy sacrifice because it goes to these issues and it includes genuine respect for the officials who are in authority over us because they're God's agents. They may not always act godly, but they maintain order and they maintain justice in society. So Paul's writing to believers in Rome, check this. The Romans who are receiving this, who are believers in Jesus, they live inside the Death Star. They're inside the belly of the beast. They're in the capital of Rome. Nero, Caligula, who throw people to the lions inside the auditorium. People cheer because of their blood being shed. And most Christians at this time, they didn't have legal protection. They didn't have civil rights. And there was no presumption of innocence, especially when it came to matters of the state. Nero would just as soon kill you as look at you if he found out you were a believer in Christ. In Rome's eyes, Christians in the church were shady at best. So here's Paul's reasoning. We are subject to authority, and that applies to every believer. Whatever country we live in, whatever time frame we live in, whatever government might be in power. This is consistent with what Peter wrote. Look with me on the screen. 1 Peter 2.13, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. That part really beat me up because I'm thinking of that guy who's coming out that one-way sign shaking his fist at me. Did I look like Christ in that moment when I'm blowing through the one-way sign? I couldn't silence anybody at that point because I was totally guilty. So he goes on to say, act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. Check this last part. Honor all, really? How you doing with that, Mark? Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. King Agrippa is in power in the west of Israel. The Herods are in power in the east of Israel. Caesar is over the entire empire. And he says, honor the king? And you couldn't be a more corrupt government on earth? What a remarkable contrast to our world. So Scripture is showing us that believers are supposed to be prototypical. And I say that specifically for this reason. A, a prototype is something that individuals in the manufacturing world look to to say, that's what the others are supposed to look like. Prototypical believers are supposed to be what? Obedient, respectful, rather than demeaning and rebellious. So immediately, my mind goes where your mind goes. Are we not supposed to speak out against injustice? 
Are we not supposed to speak out against ungodliness? Absolutely. Yes, we are. But, here's the qualifier, only within the framework of always respecting, always honoring all forms of authority. He says, honor all men. So the Bible mandates that you and I, as followers of Jesus, a biblical community that's living as a fellowship of believers in Jesus, according to Romans 13, 14, that we would put on Jesus. And that's why I ask myself, how am I doing with this? Prototypical. Do others want to look to me to say, that's what a believer looks like? How do I do that? Well, he goes on in verse 1 to say, here's what it looks like. Be in subjection. If you've got your Bibles open, you might want to circle the word subjection. It's actually a military term. The soldiers, you can picture, are under absolute authority of their superior officer. It's the only Greek word in your notes this morning. It's the word hupotasso. And hupotasso has got this very specific meaning about being under the authority of someone else to be subjected to their authority. And catch this, it's written in the Greek language in a passive imperative, which means this. It's a command. It's not a choice. You have to willingly put yourself under that authority. That means the building permit you don't want to file for, the dog tag you don't want to buy. This goes to every single category of your life. Paul's writing it for that reason. He says, there's no qualifiers. There's no conditions here. This is extremely consistent with the other writings of the Bible. 1 Timothy, look with me on the screen, chapter 2, verse 1. I urge entreaties, prayers, petitions, thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority. When's the last time you prayed for your drain commissioner? I don't say that lightly. I mean, really, I check myself on that. Like, how often do I do this? And there's no exception to the ruler's competence. You're going to see Jesus talk about this very issue this morning. There's no exception to the competence or the morality or even the godliness or ungodliness of the person who's in power. The exact same directive comes from the book of Titus, Titus 3.1. Remind them to be, here it is, hupotasso. To be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one. How are you doing with that? That's a pretty strong theme throughout the New Testament. What about the Old Testament? Well, God is nothing if not consistent, painfully consistent. Let me give you an example of this up on the screen, Jeremiah 29.7. Look, look at the context of what's going on. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into Exile? God's speaking to the people of Israel who've just been raped and pillaged by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, and he's hauling them away as slaves, and God's saying, seek the welfare of those people who are taking you as slaves. Pray to the Lord for their welfare. Really, God, that is so hard. And the only single limitation I can find to this any place in the Bible is a law that requires a believer to defy God. There's the exception here. Let me show you a couple examples of that. In the Old Testament, you find Pharaoh telling the midwives of Israel that they're supposed to execute the babies, the male babies, as they're coming out of the womb to kill them so that the males will be wiped out. And 
the midwives fear God. So look with me on the screen, Exodus 1.17. They feared God, speaking of the women, and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. Because they refused to murder the babies, God honored their action. Actually, verse 20 goes on to say, God blessed them and He increased the nation greatly. Why? Because they wouldn't defy God. They knew what was wrong. They knew what was right. Here, here's another example. There's, there's three 20-year-old guys, 20-somethings, Shad, Shack, and Abed, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and they've got an opportunity. Do they defy the king or do they obey God? And they're told that they've got to bow down to the king and not just honor him, not say something like, oh, king, may you live forever, but rather they've got to actually worship the king. Well, this is their response, Daniel 3.16. They said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image. The New Testament does exactly the same thing. When somebody tries to compel you to defy God then you've got something to stand on. So in the New Testament, you find the government actually telling Peter and John to not talk about Jesus anymore. But in Matthew 28, Jesus said, go out and tell all the earth. Tell everyone about me and the things that you have seen and heard. And so we find in Acts 4.19, Peter responding, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God. You be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking of what we have seen and heard because to obey human rulers would have meant to disobey God, who's their divine ruler. So Peter answers, 528, Peter and the apostles answered and said, we must obey God rather than men. You feel the tension here, church? Like, well, what's the line? How do I? And we talked about this a lot in Saturday night service last night, people with Q&A, like, what is the line then? How do I know? Well, this is really a heart issue. It's, it's not about whether or not Mark can blow through the one-way sign because he's in a hurry. It's about what's going on in the heart. It's like, you think you're better than everybody else? You think the rules don't apply to you? My wife knows that this is true of me because I was sharing this thought with her yesterday, and she said, you were that way when we were in college dating. I thought, well, thanks for the affirmation, but it's true. I made airplanes do things that airplanes were not designed to do when I was in aviation. I thought I knew better than the engineers in my brilliant 21-year-old mind, and I made aircraft perform according to what I thought it should do, not according to what the authorities told me it should do. God's mercy that I'm not dead today. We have this presumption in our mind that the rules don't apply to us. It, it happens. I know there's a lot of rule followers in this room, but there's always an issue in which God's got to press against our heart. So the limitation I find here is the law when it's requiring somebody to disobey God. And here's what's really important to me. I read every one of these stories. Go read them yourself. Even while refusing to obey the king, they honored the king. They spoke respectfully of the king. They honored him as a person who is in a position that God placed him in. Are we not supposed to be concerned about what's going on around us? Absolutely. We are to be concerned about our world, but it cannot become the focus of it. 
Jesus already said, you live in a wicked and perverse generation. It shouldn't be news to us. It can't consume us, and it, it consumes an inordinate amount of time in some people's lives. We're supposed to be characterized by people as being free of anxiety and free of hostility and free of self-righteousness. What does that mean for you? It means maybe you need to take a break from media. Maybe you shouldn't be such a news junkie because maybe those online feeds that you're part of, maybe that's rising up hostility within you. And you're thinking evil of that person as opposed to praying for that person, that they would operate according to God's principles. Because if you allow media to, it will absorb your life. Can I remind you, you were meant for more. Jesus said, go out and tell people about me. Why am I the redeemer? Why do I deliver grace? Instead, we find ourselves going to work talking about what somebody did in government offices. And the reality is, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, things are not going to go well for you. You shouldn't be expecting that it will. You shouldn't feel that this is a surprise to you. He actually said it this way, Matthew 10, 18, you shall even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not become anxious about how or what you will speak. See, that's reality. Jesus has just stated truth. Reality is things are not on earth going to go well for believers. Here's the reason why. Because this earth is not your home, church. You want to say amen to that? It, it's, it's true. You're going to spend a whole lot more time in eternity than what you're spending here on this planet. And I know if you're 20 years old right now, you're thinking, I've got a long time ahead of me. I'm here to tell you it goes really, really fast. Just ask somebody with a little silver in their hair this morning, they're going to tell you it's but a vapor, right? And just because we try and color the gray away doesn't make it go any slower. It goes fast. But the reality is you're going to spend way more time in eternity than you're spending here. This earth is not your home. So even when you're persecuted for what you believe, it's not a cause for rebellion. Jesus says it's a cause for perseverance, Regardless of the failure of the earthly governments around you, and granted, many are very ungodly, believers in Jesus are supposed to be living as influencers, not by rebellion, but by living like Jesus. So just like the Old Testament prophets, we have an obligation. We have an obligation to stand against the sins of our generation, but only in the Lord's way. I talked to some people 20 minutes after the first service this morning, after the 915 service, who said, I, I feel so much tension right now. I, I just feel so torn because you're telling us on one side, we've got to respect all authority, and on the other side, we've got to take a stand. What do we do? And my response is yes. It's not a simple issue. This is the reason Paul writes about it. Can you imagine the letters he got back from the Romans? Like, Paul, we live under Nero. What are you telling us? In this, the world sees when we honor those who are in authority and we live according to the authority that's been set up. In doing this, the world sees what a person who belongs to Jesus actually lives like. Okay, so we've got that issue hanging out there. Why? Paul writes about that in verse 1. For there is no authority except from God. So civil, even if you don't agree with us, hear me out on this. 
Civil authority, government, descends directly from God. You may not like what you see in various offices or various positions today, but God says it's an institution. There's only three institutions in the Bible, marriage, government, and the church. God instituted those three, and they descend directly from God. So just like marriage, it's an institution. So maybe we're thinking right now, does this include evil rulers? What about when somebody who's corrupt is in power? Well, we know that God speaks of both the good and the bad because the Bible actually records God putting in place people who are both good and bad, check this, for His purposes. Even if you can't understand and see the full picture, God's carrying out His purposes. Let me give you an example. Jeroboam, look with me on the screen, 1 Kings 12, 15. It was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord. What's the context? Solomon has been king over Israel. He's David's son, and he's about to die, or he's dead, and Jeroboam looks like he's going to be the next king. So Jeroboam goes to the older people of the nation, the wise individuals, and he says to them, what kind of a king should I be? And the wise individuals say, be a merciful king. Be gentle with the people, and could you cut us a break on the taxes? And then Jeroboam goes to the young people, and he says to the young men of the nation, what kind of a king should I be? And they say to him, bring the heat. Make your father appear as a little finger before them. Bring it. Jeroboam listens to them. And we're told, according to 1 Kings, it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord. Why? Because God's working in the background to accomplish His purposes. Nebuchadnezzar is another example of that exact same thing. Jeremiah 27.6, Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. What? My servant? This is the same phrase Paul uses in Romans 13.4 when he says, these individuals who are in authority over us are the servants of God, even if they don't know they are? See, Paul knew that God removes kings and God exalts kings. God puts them up and God puts them down according to his own time and his own purposes. They're all under his control. So the answer is yes. This applies to all rulers, not just because your guy or your gal happens to be in office. It's regardless of the circumstance. So check this. This blows me away. No human government in history has ever existed apart from God. Mussolini, Ceausescu, Idi Amin, the Hun Dynasty, Alexander the Great, Caesar, all the way back to Nebuchadnezzar and beyond. God says, they're doing things that are part of my plan, and it doesn't mean they've been godly but they will answer to God. How well or how poorly their God-given power is used is another matter entirely. But check this, everything in heaven and in earth is subject to God, including Satan. He's subject to the Creator. Can I remind you what we talked about in the last four weeks? That God permitted Satan vast power. Look with me on the screen. It says this in 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So at the temptation of Jesus, he spends 40 days in the wilderness, and Satan brings the temptations his way. And in the midst of the temptations, he says this to Jesus, 
If you will bow before me, I will turn over all the kingdoms of the earth to you. How how can he promise that to God the Son? Well, because all the kingdoms of the earth are empowered by Satan, according to Scripture. He's behind the scenes at the temptation. This conversation is going on. Watch this, Luke 4, 6. Satan said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. So Daniel 10 makes it really clear that there's various nations that have existed in history. There's various political powers that are under specific demonic influence. Isaiah writes about that. Ezekiel writes about that. Satan is closely identified with the king of Tyre in the book of Ezekiel. But everything in heaven and earth, including Satan, is subjected to the Lord God for this reason. If that is not true then God's not sovereign. And if he's not sovereign, then he's not God. And if he's not God, we have a much bigger issue than the person who was elected into office. He's either sovereign or he's not. So Paul says in verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. This last part's going to go really quick. Here's the ramification. Because government is an institution of God, Mark Kring, when you go through that one-way sign at the post office, you're defying authority. And to defy authority is to defy God. Look at the way that Robert Haldane said this in 1835. The people of God then ought to consider resistance to the government under which they live as a very awful crime, even as resistance to God himself. Why? Verse 3 says this, For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, for it is a minister of God to you. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. It is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Rulers are not a cause for fear. Is that always true? That's not always true. There's been some regimes in power that terrorize people. Go through the history of the world, that's not always true. What is Paul driving at here? Where there's a principle going on. Here's the principle. I can illustrate this real simply. In our household, when Adam and Derek were teenagers, as young men, they would occasionally speak back to their parents. Can you imagine? Right? And occasionally, I won't call out which one did that because one of them is in the auditorium right now. Occasionally, there would be sassing going on, sometimes directed specifically at their mother. And so I have to call it out, and I say, we do not speak that way in this house. But the reality is, no, he just did speak that way. I'm stating the principle. We don't do that. Paul's stating the principle. Rulers are godly, if they're they're godly, they're not supposed to be a cause for fear, they're not supposed to terrorize, but they're for good behavior. They're there to keep people in check. So biblically speaking, the rule of law has objectives, and here's the biggest one. You see others in your notes, but I'm not going to get into them this morning. You and I submit to governing authority because God uses it to restrain evil. When sin entered our world... 
Sin attempted to take the restraints off. You can be as God, Eve. You can have all of this. Sin attempts to take the restraints off it. Humanity entered into the knowledge of good and evil. That's what God said. You do that, everything's going to change. And as a result of the knowledge of good and evil, we have a conscience. Knowledge is the basis for our conscience. And even those who not seem to have a conscience have a conscience. We all do. God promises it. Look with me on the screen, Romans 2.14. When Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, and that they show the work of the law is already written on their hearts, their conscience bearing witness. Even people you think don't have a conscience in your life, they have a conscience. So governing authorities exist to keep restraints in place, and here's what happens when government is removed. When governing authorities are removed and restraints are taken off, hell moves in. There's a reason that the Antichrist is called the man of lawlessness in the Bible. Because God brings order and structure. He brings law for our good. The man of lawlessness wants anything but the restraints to be in place. Let me give you a simple example of this. In our nation, I would say most nations around the world, the restraints have been removed in the category of protecting children in the womb. Feel the tension? It's assumed that the children in the womb have no voice. And when that assumption is made, there's an assumption that we can get away with something. When Cain murdered Abel, Abel's already dead. God shows up on the scene, and what does he say to Cain? What have you done? Your brother's blood screams to me from the ground. Silent voice. Nations around this planet have decided that there's no voice in the womb. And so the restraints have been taken off. And culture takes advantage of that and begins treating those individuals just like we treated the slaves in the 1800s as though they're insignificant, with no voice whatsoever, and they become disposable. A nation that encourages the disposable of our most helpless can't escape judgment because the land cries out for the blood of the millions of the massacred. So God's going to answer that cry because the government isn't taking care and putting the restraints in place. Watch this last quote from Robert Haldane. He said it this way. The institution of civil government is a dispensation of mercy. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. It's a dispensation of mercy, and its existence is so indispensable that the moment it ceases under one form, it reestablishes itself in another. The world, ever since the fall, when the dominion of one part of the human race over another was immediately introduced, has been in such a state of corruption and depravity that without the powerful obstacle presented by the civil government to the selfish and malignant passions of men, it would be better to live among the beasts of the forest than in a human society. As soon as its restraints are removed, man shows himself in his real character. So when a nation or an individual commits sin, it's not because they don't know. 
We have the knowledge of good and evil. We know what's right or what's wrong, but rather it's because we suppress the truth, according to Romans 1.18. We fight against the restraints. We suppress the truth. In unrighteousness, we blow through the one-way signs. We think the rules don't apply to us. So Paul closes it by saying in verse 4, if you do what is evil, be afraid. An avenger who brings about wrath is is the one who's in office. You as a citizen of the United States should have an expectation that your government will defend you and protect you. That's why God put it there. It's there for that purpose. So he says in verse 4, it does not bear the sword for nothing. It is a minister of God, an avenger. Why? Because it's God-ordained authority. A civil official is actually a minister of God. Have you ever thought of the IRS that way? Like, I don't want to, but that's what it's saying. It's no small wonder that he goes into talking next week. You're going to see this in verse 7 about taxes. Why that? Why, Paul, when Rome is carrying away our young men to war? Why, Paul, when they're raping our daughters? Why do you talk about taxes? Because it's the issue of the heart. What's really going on in your heart? So verse 5, therefore it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Let me end with this thought. As God's own, you, New Hope, are indwelt with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so God says you should be grasping this with spiritual instincts disobedience and disrespect is wrong. And you can't say the rules don't apply to me. Disrespect for government officials is wrong. It doesn't matter, Republican or Democrat, Libertarian or Green Party, it matters not. Honor all, whether we are personally protected or not. And perhaps you're thinking right now, this would have been a whole lot easier 100 years ago because we're living in a different climate now. Have you been out there lately, Mark? Have you seen how people treat each other? This would be so much better. And in saying that, here's what we're thinking. It's on that other person. If they would just behave more biblically and forget that it begins with me, It starts with me, whether or not I go through that one-way stop sign or not, or that one-way sign is up to me. And Jesus modeled that very issue. Here's the premise we started with. This is what we're ending with. God established all authority. Yet check this, church. No one in history received a more unfair treatment from the governing authority than Jesus And you've got to see the dialogue that's going on between Jesus and Pilate. Because Pilate has before him the one person in all of history who really is innocent. The one person in all of human history from Adam to 2019 who is really innocent. You can't be more innocent than Jesus. Watch this, John 19.10. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and I have the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, and this just just, just hits me in the gut. 
Jesus answered, you would have no authority except it's given to you by my Father above. See, God puts it all in place. The most wicked ruler who's going to kill the Son of God even he is put in place. Why? Because God's going to accomplish his purposes. Government is of God to accomplish his purposes. He lifts up. He puts down. Even though everything is not right in your world right now. Hear this. Get your amen ready. God is still on his throne. And Jesus is going to make all things new. He promised it. So in the meantime, he has us here to be his hands and his feet. In Romans 13, 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're gonna walk out of this auditorium and every one of us here, everyone watching online that's still watching, has a choice about what we're going to do with this. And there's a possibility that when we reach for that cup of coffee or that cookie, or we reach for our car keys, that it's going to begin evaporating. You declare yourself a heart surgeon, and your word is proof of that. You really do know how to pierce and do heart surgery on us. Your word is truly alive and it's truly active and it's sharp. And there's times when it really stings. But you always mean this for our good. So we pray as your people, as those who are in relationship with you or even those who are investigating today, that we would be surrendered to your purposes and that we would stop and allow you to push against our heart and conform us to the likeness of Christ that we would put on Jesus. God, that's our desire. It is in this moment. Make it true tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. And we ask for all that in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Have a great week.